Anyway, we're back again to study the word of the Lord. Praise Him for that. I, I pray that what we've got for you today will be beneficial for you. We've taken the last several weeks and we've gone through a, a variety of different topic, topics, looked at a lot of different scripture. Uh, today we're going, to, we're going to continue along those same lines, but we're going to look at a text as opposed to a topic today. Uh, and that text is going to be dealing with the subject of living out our faith. I feel like I've talked a whole lot about our responsibility for action, for living our faith, for being a changed people set apart to the Lord. But we haven't talked a whole lot about exactly how we go about doing that. <clears throat> and there are a number of passages in the writings of the Apostle Paul where he takes tons and tons of biblical truth and information and he condenses it all down into a little bitty tiny passage of Scripture that you can just unpack forever. You can think about things like the fruits of the Spirit. We've got posters of those all over the place. All of that beautiful biblical truth packed into just a couple little verses. We're going to look at a passage that's kind of like that today, but is looked at a lot less. Uh, this is something from Romans chapter 12, if you want to go ahead and start heading that way. We're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. And if you would, if you will stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, this is going to be our main text for this evening. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. You may be seated. So we're just going to go verse by verse through this text today. And, you know, a lot of times people will talk about there's a, a very common uh, way of outlining a sermon called a three-point outline. There'll be three big headings that you go through, three main points that you really want people to remember as they go home. That's completely impossible for this text, okay? We're having like a ten-point outline today, all right? There's so much here, there's no way that we could ever go through all of it, but I'm going to try to give you at least a little bit of all of the truth that the apostle gives us here. He starts out by telling us in verse 9 that we are to let our love be without hypocrisy. And I, I would try to explain to you exactly what that means, but I think another apostle does that better than I ever could. So we're going to look at the next text. is 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, where he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we as believers are not just to love people with our words or with our mouths. We are to have sincere love that manifests itself in deeds, in actions. We aren't to just talk a big game. We are to live out what our profession says. We're to show patience, kindness, humility. We're to seek the good of others. This is something that is so essential it comes up over and over and over again. All of the apostles, all of Jesus' sermons and teaching, this is something that is absolutely cannot be done away with. We must love in deed and in truth. The scriptures tell us that Everything we do should be done in love. That we should imitate the love of Christ who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. That we should love God with all our heart, 
all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. There could be no higher calling that we have in this life than that of love. Uh, Like I said, love in the life of a believer is something that is indispensable. We're going to talk about a whole lot of different things that he gives us today, but this is really something that stands out beyond all of the others. Uh, Love never does anything wrong. Love never sins. We should always strive to love. In the book of 1 John, the apostle tells us that anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's something that we all need to think about. Anybody that does not love does not know God. It is so essential for us in every aspect of our Christian life. It's part of our witness to the world. It's what keeps us in harmony and peace with each other. It's something that allows us to look beyond our faults and shortcomings because of the love that we have for one another. And he goes on in verse 9 to tell us that we are to abhor that which is evil. Now, that's something that uh, is very strong language. Uh, he, he's not backing away from saying abhor, right? Detest, reject, hate, completely reject 100% and totally. There's no spirit of compromise here. There's no pretending that evil or sin are okay. Our position toward evil is that of completely, clearly rejecting it. This is something that you see in churches all the time. Many people will be very serious about doing good. Many people will be very serious about reaching out to the needy, about loving their neighbor. Those things are great. Those are things that we preach to you that Jesus and the apostles taught. They're things that we must do. But the reality is that to love good, you have to hate evil. The the Bible tells us over and over again that these things go together. In Proverbs 8, it says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. In Psalm 119, the psalmist tells us, I hate every false way because through your precepts I get understanding. In all ways, we are to turn from it. We are to reject it. We do not take this seriously enough. The church mixes itself up with evil things and evil people, and we can't do that. We have to be just as serious about rejecting evil as we are about accepting good. That sounds very easy in theory. Uh, What makes it difficult in practice is that people are going to try to deceive you about the difference between good and evil. The Bible tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, In a very important passage, Isaiah 5.20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. How do you know the difference When there are people that are going to try to confuse you. They're going to try to twist you up and get you backwards. Well, I'd hope that you know how you're going to know the difference between what's truly good and what's truly evil. God has given us His Word that we might know the difference. I can't go through everything that God calls evil in the Scriptures. Everything that's uh, called an abomination or we're told to abhor. I can't give you all of the examples Now, you've got to be in the Word for yourself. But I can give you some examples from a list in Proverbs chapter 6. It says, Six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, 
a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We're told we have to reject evil. We're told that we find out what that is in his word, but the Bible itself tells us how to overcome evil. Evil is real. Evil is out there. But it tells us how to overcome evil in the very chapter that we're in right now, not just a few verses after what we've already read. In verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil is not destroyed with more evil. You can't destroy evil with bullets and bombs. It's always going to come back. There's no way to make it go away like that. How do we overcome evil with good? The same way that Jesus has told us to love our enemies, to pray for those that persecute us, to be a light in the world, to bring glory to God. And we're told to cling to what is good, right? To to cling to, to be glued together, fastened, connected to what is good. Just like we have a responsibility to abhor evil, we have a responsibility in our lives to cling to what is good. In 1 Thessalonians, we're told to test everything, hold fast that which is good, hold to it, cling to it. We should be striving for justice in our communities. We should be striving for holiness in our churches. We should be striving for holiness in ourselves. We're going to look at verse 10 now. It says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. So it says to be kindly affectionate to one another. So as believers, how are we to relate to each other? He says not just to have brotherly love, but to be kindly affectionate to one another. We don't love each other out of mere duty, just because we've been told to. We are to love each other in the same way that flesh and bone family members love each other. With true and sincere affection that is as natural as anything else in the world. Uh, That is to be restricted from nobody. All of the saints, not just those here, all over the world, all of them should be receivers of that family love that we have. We're also told at the end of the verse that we are to give preference to one another in honor. So what's Paul telling us there? He's encouraging us to humility. Not only should we love, we should also be humble. We're not in this for ourselves. We're not in this for vain glory or self-advancement. That's something that we should always be fighting against. The faith is not something for you to promote yourself. It is for something for you to bring glory to God. Uh, Remember the words of Jesus when he told us that if one was going to be great, he was going to be the servant of all. In another place, Paul tells us to count others as more significant than ourselves. He's warning us against pride, against pride that leads us to sin. The world is not going to tell you to be humble. The world's not going to tell you to put others first, to count others as more significant than yourselves. The world values self-promotion, assertiveness, vanity, me, me, me. That's not what the scriptures tell us. That's not how we are to be. I should be more about you, you, you than I am about me, me, me. That we've got to get our priorities in line. Scripture tells us that with the humble is wisdom. That if we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will exalt us. It's a very difficult thing in practice to take 
the credit and the glory and give it to somebody else. It's an easy thing to say. It's a very difficult thing to do. We want the credit. We want the glory. We want all of the attention. The Bible tells us that we are not to be like that. Instead, Jesus told the disciples when they go to a feast to go to the least spot that they could possibly find. They were to humble themselves because whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And that's in Luke chapter 14. Now I want to look at the next verse with you, verse 11. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now what does it mean that we should not lag in diligence? That means that we shouldn't be idle, we shouldn't be slow, we shouldn't lack zeal in the things that we do. Instead, we should be fervent in spirit, right? You can think uh, intensity, activity, activeness, liveliness, right? We need to be fervent, and we need to do all of these things while serving the Lord. How do we serve Him? By being diligent to do the things that He has given each of us to do. That might look a little bit different. I can't really give you a formula for exactly how that's going to look in your life. You have different gifts than I do. You're in different circumstances than I do. But God has you here for a reason. We should be diligently doing the work that he has given to us. And we should do all of this keeping in mind that we only serve one Lord. We don't serve man. We don't serve ourselves. We don't serve money. We don't serve God and anything else. The Bible says you cannot have two masters. And we need to keep in mind, we only have so much time to do this very important work we've been given. If you can think back on Sunday, not too long ago, we were hearing it every week. Night comes when no man can work. Well, in the meantime, we need to do all that we can to the glory of God. Now, I want to look at our next verse. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, continuing our conversation about uh, being fervent in spirit. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works, that you are neither hot or cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So he's talking to the Laodiceans here. They're, they're lukewarm. He says they're not cold or hot. And what I've always found surprising about that verse, the thing that kind of throws you off a little bit, is that Jesus doesn't just say, be hot, be on fire. Jesus says, I would rather you be cold than you be lukewarm. This sort of one foot in, one foot out Christianity. I want a little bit of Jesus, but I don't want the whole thing. There is no fence sitting in the kingdom of God. You're either in or you are out. They obviously didn't have the fervency and spirit that the Apostle Paul was talking about. Is God pleased with their lukewarmness? The answer is obviously no, unless you count wanting to be vomited out as being pleased. Uh, either be all in or all out. He wants people that are zealous, that are committed, that are all in. Know for your service, if you are all in, if you are on fire, you will be rewarded. God does not miss anything. He doesn't let anything go. He never overlooks what you've done. Nothing that you do in the service of the Lord is going to be in vain. 
None of it is wasted. All of it is valuable. Whatever we do, we are to do it in His name with all of our heart. Earlier in our main chapter, Romans 12, 1, it says to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Everything we have, everything we are, are to be given to His service. All the gifts, all the blessings He has given to us, you have been given an opportunity, a wonderful opportunity. You, not me, not just this church, you have been given an opportunity to be a co-laborer with God, a harvester in His field. And there is only so much time that we are given to work alongside Him. Do not waste the opportunity that God has given to you. And on our main text here, we're going to read verse 12. It says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. So our hope is tied up with our faith, right? We have no hope if we don't believe what God has told us. And regardless of the circumstances, we can look to all of the things that God has promised us and we can rejoice. He has promised us that someday Christ is going to return, that someday every tear is going to be wiped away, sin is going to be gone, death and sickness are going to be no more. And because of that, always... Always we can rejoice. We are to have the, what the Bible calls joy unspeakable, immeasurable, uncountable. It's something that can never, ever be taken away from you. You know forever you are going to be in the presence of God. All of the pain, all of the suffering is going to be gone. Nothing should be able to steal your joy. And to say we hope for these things, that we rejoice in hope, doesn't imply that they're not sure or that we doubt in any way. Right? To hope for what God has promised to us is us patiently waiting for what a God that never, ever lies has promised us. They are sure, they are coming, and we can believe that 100%. And the next clause in the verse says we are to be patient. In tribulation, these things are connected together, right? Part of what helps you have patience is your hope. It's what we have to look forward to. It's what can help get you through those hard times. We have to have patience because there's going to be struggles. Uh, nobody from this pulpit is going to try to sell you the idea that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you because you believe. There are going to be hard times. There are going to be trials. And because of those trials, we need the next passage that we're going to look at in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Where he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So not only are we to be patient, we're to have joy in that patience. How can you have joy when you're dealing with true struggles, when life gets really difficult? Not just saying it's difficult. Most of you have probably experienced things that are really difficult, when you don't understand exactly what's going on. You have to be able to see the bigger picture and know that God is working in those trials. We see that the trials themselves produce patience. 
There is a purpose for them being there. There is a reason that God has allowed them to happen. Uh, in another passage, we're told to rejoice in sufferings. You can see how that's a similar idea. Because they produced endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Trials and struggles are inevitable in this life. What's different about us is the way that we can react to them. We're told that what we are going through now is but a light affliction. It's temporary. It's momentary. It's going to be gone. And it is not even comparable with the glory that awaits us in the future. All right. And then in the last part of the verse, verse 12, it says, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. So like we said before, this is obviously connected to the rest of the verse. Where do we get the hope that we can rejoice in or the patience when things get difficult? Well, we get it through God, right? Well, one of the means that we get it from God is through prayer. And we're told here that we are to persevere in prayer no matter what. And Jesus has a parable about this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And I'm going to go ahead and read this parable to you. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, the Son of Man comes. Will he really find faith on the earth? All right. And a lot of people have a lot of trouble with, with parables. Uh, they, they make them way more complicated than they have to be. They try to turn them into these big, grand allegories and stuff. He's just he's making an illustration here, right? He's, he's giving you a spiritual truth. He tells us the point he's trying to get across. It says that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. He talks about this unjust judge. The unjust judge is not God, by the way, right? Obviously, but just in case there's any confusion, the unjust judge is not God. And he doesn't want to give this woman justice, but she keeps coming and coming and coming, and he's worried she's going to wear him out, weary him down. And he gives her the justice she's seeking for. And then he asks, how much more so would a just God answer the prayers for justice from his children? We should always pray. We should persevere in prayer just like she persevered in seeking justice from that unjust judge. Jesus tells us not just to pray, but to continually pray and pray and then pray some more. In all things we are to pray because we know that anything we ask in His will, in His name, He hears us. We're told to pray without ceasing. It's something that should characterize the lives of every believer in here. When we're anxious, we should pray for peace. When we're suffering, we should pray for help. When we're sick, we should pray for health. When we've sinned, we should pray for forgiveness because we have a Father in heaven who hears us. 
Scripture tells us to approach the throne of grace that we could find mercy. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Never, ever lose steadfast prayer. And our last verse for the day is going to be verse 13. It says, Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So this verse tells us about the necessity of generosity, hospitality. Uh, We have a responsibility to care for others uh, in the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters. We even have a responsibility to care for all others, including those outside of the body of Christ. That extends even to complete strangers. There was one interesting passage, one cross-reference in Scripture that I thought uh, was worth throwing in here anyway. It tells us that uh, we should, Hebrews 13.2, tells us that we should show hospitality to strangers because in doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. I'm not sure exactly what to do with that, but I thought that was pretty interesting anyway, right? So uh, the kindness that comes from hospitality is so important that being hospitable is made a requirement to be a pastor in the church. No person in the world should stand up here and lead a congregation that does not have that generosity and hospitality that's talked about in verse 13. It was important enough that in the the list that they've given us of the qualifications, that was one of the things that Paul picked out that a pastor must have if he's going to lead God's people. And we're told that that generosity and that hospitality he speaks of is necessary for all believers. We'll look at our last verse for the day, 1 John 3, verse 17, where John says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? I mean, some people have been blessed with the world's goods, right? I mean, all of us probably have to some extent or another. We've been blessed. We've been given things. And the apostle asks us, how is it even possible that the love of God could abide in that person when he shuts up his heart when he sees somebody in need? I mean, is that what you would expect from somebody who is a spirit-led follower of Christ? We're told in the early church that no one lacked. In Acts chapter 4, people were willing to sell their property, sell their homes to provide for the needs of other people. We could probably learn something from them. And don't forget that in Matthew 25, a passage we've seen before, Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty and you gave me drink, a stranger and you welcomed me. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of my brethren, you also did it to me. That should be all the motivation that we ever need. I know a lot, we, we've run through a lot of points right there. We've looked at a lot of very broad, general things. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we were going for, guys. It, how important it is that we live out our faith. That we continue in the love we've talked about. The kindly affection we've talked about. The humility, the zeal, the hope, the patience, the prayer, the hospitality. All of those things please the Lord. That's what he wants from us. That's what is becoming of his children. And if those things seem impossible to you, those just aren't things that characterize your personality, the way that you live, in a way, you're probably right. For you alone, it would be impossible. But we're told in Scripture that with God, all things are impossible. 
And as always, I invite you, if you don't know him, if you do not know the Lord, if your sins have not been forgiven, I want you to know that the Father in heaven has sent his only son to die on the cross for your behalf, that he is raised from the grave, and that he offers forgiveness of sins to all who will turn away from their sinful life and believe in him. And if there's anybody here that wants to know more about that, if there's anybody here that wants to pray about that, uh, come, come see me, come see Jason. We'd be happy to talk to you guys. Just know that we're here for you. That's all I've got for you today. So if you would, stand with me. We're going to go ahead and pray out.